0: Post Reports is brought to you by Purina. Purina cares about a clean future. That's why they have hundreds of recipes crafted without artificial flavors or preservatives. On top of that, they are committed to using more recyclable pet food packaging. Learn more at Purina.com slash cares. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, July 17th.
1: For the past two months, Texans have forged a bond of unity and trust. Just as we united as one state to slow COVID-19, we must also come together to begin rebuilding the lives and the livelihoods of our fellow Texans. Well, since March.
0: Back in late April, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, announced that he was beginning to reopen the state's economy.
1: So with my New executive order. All retail stores, restaurants, movie theaters, and malls can reopen May the 1st.
0: In that same press conference, he also talked about masks. And he put limits on how much local leaders could actually enforce mask wearing.
1: We strongly recommend that everyone wear a mask. However, it's not a mandate
0: Texas was one of the first states in the country to push forward with reopening its economy. And they were doing this over the objections of public health experts who said that it was way too soon. But for a while, it seemed like things were going okay, until they weren't.
2: The moment Memorial Day around, Memorial Day started coming around. That's when I was like, oh, here we go, because you could see the beach parties, you could see Galveston parties, you can see like all these different things people were posting, certain people you knew.
0: That's Kartik Valeri. He's a doctor based in Houston, and so is Brad Lemke.
3: And as we followed that trajectory and we started seeing those cases rise, we knew it would. We just didn't know how quickly and how much. And I think as that started to accelerate again, it really gave us pause.
0: Since Memorial Day... Texas has been staring down a second surge of COVID cases, a surge that's much larger and longer than what they saw earlier in the spring. It's especially bad in Houston, which is part of Harris County, a county with the highest number of COVID cases in the state. In late June, as numbers continued to spike, we wanted to hear what it was like for doctors trying to deal with this. And for the past three weeks, we've been checking in with them over the phone. Four doctors at two of the largest hospitals in Houston, Baylor St. Luke's and Memorial Hermann.
2: These are huge hospitals. It looks like a little mini downtown. They meet together under one umbrella called TMC, which is Texas Medical Center.
0: It's actually the largest medical complex in the world.
2: So Texas Medical Center talks to all the CEOs, all these directors, and unifies a front for this area.
0: Besides Dr. Valori and Dr. Lemke, Chief Medical Officer for Catholic, you'll also hear Dr. Michelle Lohr.
4: I am a surgical intensivist at Baylor State.
0: And Dr. Bella Patel. I'm a pulmonary critical care physician. And I'm a professor. We first started talking to these doctors on July 1st.
2: What's today? Thursday? Friday? Today's Wednesday, the first Wednesday, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Wednesday.
0: This day, TMC reports 1,198 new COVID cases in the Houston area. So when did you start seeing more patients coming in for this surge that's happening now? This is, we,
2: last week, last week, it started pretty much last Monday. We just saw the trickle. June 20th to the 24th, we saw a nice incline. And then from the 24th to the 26th, we saw like that step pattern where it's like exponential growth.
0: Like how much of an increase per day in terms of the number of patients coming in?
2: For example, if I talk to you about just my hospital, which we've provided for the first part of this surge, like 75 beds, right? We are at ha- more than more than half of that
3: already up within a week. So just in general, if, you know, we've got about within our healthcare system, about four times as many COVID patients as we did at maximum before, maybe three and a half to four times. Wow, that's a lot. So yeah, it's, it's a significant increase.
0: At what percent capacity are you guys at right now?
3: You have to think about it in multiple different ways. There's complete physical capacity, and we're not even anywhere close to our physical capacity. But just as you staff up, as your volumes increase, you know we are close to that staffed capacity. But as we surge, we bring in more staff. At least from my exposure to a lot of people here, no, no one's cared. No one's
2: frustrated. The thing is, the first surge sort of primed us to know exactly what it would be like.
3: We, as a hospital system, we're a whole lot better prepared than we were in March. The thing that uh, we personally were looking at was just like the rate and rise of cases in New York City. You know, we thought this could be us. And so, you you know, we're trying to prepare before that, but then really high-speed preparation after that. And it gave our nurses and our physicians. You know, the opportunity to focus on learning to take care of these individuals. I think the outcomes in New York City didn't have the advantage of learning from New York City. They were doing it on the fly. We learned a ton of how best to take care of these patients. April was our peak, our first surge. Prior to
2: that surge, the way that at least my hospital prepared was, we made it into orange, yellow, and red. So orange would be anywhere between zero and 50 ICU beds. And then 90 to 150, which you've called red, I mean, that's, that's our maximum capacity. We'd have to literally shift patients to like different remote parts of the hospital or a new hospital that they're building. I mean, we weren't ready for that, but we were mentally preparing ourselves that if it did come to that, that's what, what would happen.
0: So, so what point did you get to during that first surge?
2: We got to the orange level, so we got around up to the 70s.
0: And that's the middle one?
2: That's the middle one. It was handleable. Like we had staffing for it. We had space for it.
0: What are the, the types of patients that you are seeing come in?
3: When you think about the first surge, the patients that were coming in were older and sicker. The average ages were 65 and about 60 to 65 percent of those were in our intensive care units. The second surge, at least initially, has been younger patients. Really? There is. It's about a 10 years difference And it kind of tells us that our elderly, you know, most vulnerable population is staying at home and being cautious, but our younger populations are getting out and about.
0: Is your sense among doctors that you would like to see, just, you know, for the health of your patients and for the ability of the hospital to deal with this, that you would like to see things close back up, at least for a little while, while you kind of get through this second
3: wave? I think we're going to have to. The key certainly is not to open up to the extent the infections rise to outpace your hospital capacity. And right now, we've got the capacity. You know, in three weeks, we still hope we have the capacity. It just depends on that trajectory. Six weeks from now, if, if we haven't turned the corner, I think we're, we'll have to be very innovative to continue to take care of the patients. That's where we worry. And so we hope that we're able to scale back some of these social interactions my opinion is that I just wish we waited till 4th of July.
2: We could have, we could have used two months off, just a little bit more time.
0: Yeah. And, and what do you think should happen right now?
2: So <laughs> I think we've already started what we did three months ago. Again, right now we're back to square one. Things are slowing down and shutting down and socially distancing again. But this mask thing, man, this just gigantic debate about this mask. I mean, it's like, okay. Are people actually going to listen or are they still going to find other ways to socialize? Like, this is not a punishment, you know? This is not—nobody is trying to punish anyone. We're trying to protect each other.
0: July 2nd. TMC reports 2,082 new COVID what? cases in the Houston area.
4: Hi. Yeah, yeah.
0: Dr. Laura spoke with Post Reports producer Ted Muldoon.
4: I mean, I think we're like all so hopeful that things were looking better, you know, both in the hospital and in normal life. And then, um, you know, things started to get worse again. And so it, it's been hard, I think, to adjust to, you know, having to, and I, and I guess it's like more like a, like a frustration, disappointment thing that now things are getting worse again. And so that, that part of it's been hard.
0: So what's the atmosphere right now in the hospital?
4: Uh so I would say that there's some mixed feelings. You know, from my end again, I'm not in the COVID unit right now. Yeah. And so I'm kind of on the fringes of this like critical care experience that's not really dealing with COVID patients. And I think, you know, I guess I would say from an overall attitude, I feel like it's like we're, we're holding it together, like a more of a stamina thing. Like we really got to keep up being careful with ourselves and, you know, our own protection and also, you know, just trudge through this and take care of everyone. It's definitely sort of a weird juxtaposition of feelings. You know, we're still all like really worried for our own health especially as those circles of people getting sick, it get, seems to get closer and closer to us, mm-hmm. um, both in the hospital and out of the hospital, um, but then also kind of trying to return back to normal. Yeah.
0: Some semblance of normal. So you're now just off of COVID mm-hmm. a few weeks now, but do you expect that you might get called back in if things keep getting worse?
4: Yeah. So uh, I'm on a surgery team of five people. And um, right now I'm working in just a regular surgical ICU, taking care of surgical patients. Um, But some of my surgery partners are actually going back to take care of COVID patients in the next couple of weeks. I'm probably next on the lineup. So once they're complete with their weeks, if they still need help, then it'll probably be me going back there.
0: When I speak to Houston doctors versus, you know, Doctors at Mount Sinai from back in April, you, you guys just sound a lot more exhausted. Really?
4: I, yeah, it, it might be that. I mean, I think that uh, we are all hopeful that we're going to get through this. You know, it's not necessarily that it's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that we are going to adapt and be able to figure this one out. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it is a long haul, but yeah, things are different. And it's just about getting used to that new different.
1: Texans are resilient. We are tough and we are determined.
0: Right around the time that Ted was talking to Dr. Lohr, Governor Abbott announced that he was changing his mind about masks.
1: COVID-19 is not going away. In fact, it's getting worse. That is why today I am issuing a face covering requirement for all counties with more than 20 COVID cases. Now, I know that wearing a face covering it's not the convenient thing to do, but I also know that wearing a face covering.
0: July third. Hi, this is Bella Patel. TMC reports one thousand eight hundred and nine new COVID cases in the Houston area
5: today. This morning was our highest volume that we've had across our system and on our campus, and so. Uh, so it's concerning, and I worry about that being Fourth of July weekend. Obviously, so thank goodness we do have a mandatory masking order as of a few hours ago in the state of Texas, and that we've been trying to continue to educate our um, our public to make sure that they really do everything they can to decrease the virus. But I think that the next few week- weeks are going to be very difficult because the number of cases continue to increase in Houston.
0: What um at, at what percent capacity are are you all at now? Or how would you describe the amount of patients that you're seeing and caring for right now versus like what you have prepared for as a worst case scenario?
5: We are clearly past what we consider normal capacity. If we weren't uh, taking care of COVID-19 patients Um, in the medical ICUs, we've actually doubled our MICU capacity which, um, which now for next week, we're preparing to take over other parts of the hospital that have critical care and preparing beds there. So right now, every patient that comes into the ED, we can take care of. Um, and I certainly think that we will be even three weeks from now, but we will be stretching our resources.
0: When you think about the next few weeks and next couple months, I mean, obviously you're you're worried that things are going to get worse. What do you see as the possible? Like best case scenario and worst case scenario of how you'll see these cases develop and and that that total number change?
5: Well, one of the things we clearly consider is how many of our healthcare providers are getting sick in the community and decreasing our ability to manage patients. So the worst case scenario is there are healthcare workers continue to acquire COVID-19 for various different uh, sources. Most of them are actually from the community just living in our environment. Um, And I worry about that balance of, yes, we may have beds, but do we have enough healthcare providers to manage our patients? Um, So that's my worst case scenario is when that balance starts going um, a little sideways.
0: July 4th, TMC reports 1,682 new positive cases in the Houston area.
3: My name is Karthik Valuri. It's uh, Brad Lamke, and today is uh, July 9th, 2020.
0: TMC reports 1,319 new positive cases in the Houston area. So, the last time we talked was about 10 days ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, What has changed in the past 10 days in terms of what you guys are dealing with?
3: You know, um, we just had this kind of steamroll, constant. Pressure of growth of COVID cases. You know, compared to 10 days ago, we probably have again another 50%, I'm just going off memory now, of COVID patients within our health system and throughout Houston. I've got to be honest with you. It's just the
2: number of the ERs are full, right? There's people waiting. There's people being diverted to other ERs or other urgent care centers. So it's a full ER. We had Pretty much in the entire medical center from eight days ago in the critical care units, overall in TMC, we boosted up from like 400-ish in the overall medical center to now we're at 650-ish. So that's a pretty stark, steep increase. So that statistically tells me, yes, the the number of critical care patients are increasing, not as fast as they were in surge one, but it's a steady, slow incline. I mean, it's we're still on the road. We're still going. And it looks like it's still we're still climbing uphill.
0: What are you seeing on the the patient side in terms of the um level of seriousness that people get when they have it mm-hmm. and also the 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 death rate that you guys are dealing with?
3: The good thing is that the mortality is much lower, and I think the reason is a few things. We've learned how to treat patients a little differently from the first time, and then they're also their length of stays are a little bit shorter. Less of them are ending up in our intensive care units. Less of them are ending up on the ventilators. And so that's good news. Another thing I'm personally seeing is, and this can just be
2: anecdotal, but majority of the Hispanic population, I mean, majority of my patients on my list are Hispanic. What causation and association for that is, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. And then the other thing is we're seeing a lot more healthcare workers, clusters of healthcare workers being affected than the previous or the first surge. So this is the weird thing, and people are definitely looking into it, right? And there's a huge surveillance program. I have to get tested every week. I got my test back yesterday. It's my third one, negative. That's another, ba- that's like another front in the management of this virus.
0: What have been the hardest moments of the last 10 days?
2: Right now, my service is basically this super specialized service in which the medical ICU doctors um, try to maximize oxygenation on these patients. And when they come to a point where they can't, they can't do anything with the machines, the ventilators. So we, we start deciding who we put on ECMO, and that's the extra corporeal membrane oxygenation. That's when we like, take the blood out of your body, put it into a machine, which gives you oxygen, and then put it back in you. So this procedure or this process to put someone on ECMO, it's not that easy. It is a highly complex procedure in which you know we literally bypass your lungs, and there's a lot of complications that come from that. And certain patients cannot tolerate this. So, over time, nationally, there's been criteria set up on who can get it or who's eligible to get it. And it's based on various things, right? Plus our own clinical judgment. So, you know, you make a decision. And then at that point, this is where it gets heavy. And this is why it's been crazy. It's that these patients are alone in this room, and the only people around them are the healthcare workers, the nurses, and ourselves, the intensivists. And um, we have to phone call the family. Um, and tell them, like, for example, the hardest one was this patient we knew was deteriorating initially. They they were he was consulted on before, but he didn't really meet the criteria. He wanted to wait and maximize our medical treatment before we subjected him to ECMO. But the thing is, after that happened, I was on this is one of the phone calls, and then we told them that you know they're not a candidate for this. And then you know the family wouldn't have it, didn't understand no matter what and how I explained it to them. They're like, What you're denying him this. I can't believe it. You could, you could put them on this and give them more oxygen, but you can't do it. Why aren't you doing it? Why do you choose not to do it? I'm like, it's not me choosing not to do it. I'm not doing this on purpose. I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, I mean, that's not a personal thing. I'm not, I'm just trying to convey that this is absolutely not a good idea to put them on it because there's, I mean, it's not going to make a difference in the outcome.
0: And could potentially make things worse, it sounds like. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot more complications with that. Just getting on that machine can have major side effects or major complications. So it's not right. It's, it's do no harm, right? We don't want to harm the patient knowing that we have the technology, we can use it. Yeah, but was it going to harm the patient in that situation? It would. That would be my clinical judgment. But the thing is that when it's you and when it's your family member, all this scientific talk and all the crap I just said doesn't matter because that's your loved one, man. You know, and all you're hearing is that, yes, there's something that can give him oxygen. This guy's not getting enough oxygen. My freaking dad, my mom, or that guy, that's dealing with that and, ha- and knowing and ha- that, you know, no matter what you've done or, try- or how you try to explain it, that this family is in such despair because of the news you just delivered, you know, and it's like, you know, it's, it sucks. It really does.
3: That's, there's no other word for it.
0: How close do you think you are to the peak now?
3: depends on the model you look at you know i'm hopeful that it's within the next two weeks Hmm. and then you see others that are less optimistic and so that would put us into august sometimes
0: so now it's july 9th have you seen an uptick since like a week ago and and To what extent do you think that that is because people are still going out and doing stuff like enjoying a holiday without being worried about the pandemic?
2: Mm -hmm. We're going to find out next week. By today, 4th of July impact should be starting to flare up. Okay. Yesterday to today, they should be starting having symptoms. If they're symptomatic, because there's a lot of asymptomatic people out there, they they don't even know if they have the Rona, you know? So let's say the people who are symptomatic... Now is the time they would probably become symptomatic. They'll probably brush it off for another few days, you know, human nature. Then the moment they go in the shower and they can't smell their soap, they're gonna be like crap and they're gonna go get tested. So July 11th onwards, we'll see if at all there's any effect from July 4th.
5: My name is Bella Patel, and today's date is July 10th, 2020.
0: TMC reports 1,607 new positive cases in the Houston area. So far, or at least compared to, you know, a a week or so ago, what are the kind of levers that you've had to press on to be able to absorb this this increase in, in the number of COVID patients?
5: We've started shutting down a lot of our elective surgeries, To create more capacity. So, uh, we've taken two ICUs that had COVID. We've turned two more ICUs into COVID uh, receiving ICUs. Um, We've taken other areas of the hospital and created more capacity for medical COVID patients. We've even used our children's hospital and started taking younger adults and placing them there so we can actually create more capacity. So, we're using everything we can to try to increase more capacity and uh, and yet balance the workforce that we have available to the number of vets. But we just still really hoping that the curve is going to decline over the next week or so. So we continue to stop having to expand every day.
0: And what is your sense of how your colleagues are, are feeling about this and how they're holding up now that they are in the middle of this?
5: Well, you know, I think we've had to... Use out other colleagues. So uh, the core people, that core physicians and nurses that have been taking care of these patients. As we added units, we added other other help. So we recruited neuro critical care and anesthesia critical care to help with some of the critically ill patients. We've asked for more volunteers for the hospitalist service and so forth. So I think that we've buffered the front sharp line teams from being so stretched and so tired. So we're trying to maintain their level of not only attention, but energy and so forth. Um, and so I think that they actually feel relieved that there's other teams now being activated to help kind of take care of these patients. So I, I do think that they're, they're, they're showing resilience, but I think it's that same global uh, sadness that I think everyone feels of having to go through this.
0: If you have sort of been moving along the curve in the way that you all had predicted, then if that continues, where will the peak be and how soon will that be?
5: All our predictions are the peak will be next week and perhaps the week after. We're hoping that in the next 10 to 14 days, it will start declining and that uh, we will at least see a decline through the month of um, August before the fall comes. My
4: name is Michelle Lord. Today is July 10th, 2020. I ran into a co-worker yesterday in the locker room, and I just asked, you know, sort of a routine, how are you? And she stopped what she was doing, and she's like, this is tough. It's really hard. You know, I go home, I can't do anything. Here at work, it's horrible. Everyone's just really not used to this being the new, oh, this is the way things are hmm. kind of thing. And I, I think that that's really gnawing at everyone in some ways. And last time Ted and I talked, he had mentioned that the doctors in Houston seem really tired. And I've been thinking about that statement a little bit since then. And I do, I really think that that's true. You know, uh, in the beginning of this whole thing, like March and April, when, you know, things were just getting going, it was one of those things that seemed way more surmountable. Like, you know, we're going to get through this, things are going to be okay. And when you were off of work, like being in quarantine was kind of cool because you got to do these projects around your house and there was all (laughs) sorts of neat, like online things to do. And now it's like
0: everybody's over the the Zoom happy hours.
4: Yeah, there's there's nothing cool about quarantine anymore. There's nothing, you know, this whole being in the hospital and not really being able to see how things are going to resolve or resolve easily. It is. It's getting very tiring.
0: July 14th, TMC reports 2,962 new positive cases, the highest day by more than 600.
2: All right, so it's another day in the COVID unit and um, it's full as ever. Um, We had a very large patient that we had to just intubate and um, it went okay, but now we have to worry about moving him into a prone position is going to be difficult. Simultaneously we have another patient who's not doing well and right next to him another patient who's not doing well a lot of families to talk to um, just another day he keeps going Uh, My name is Kartik Valuri, and today is Wednesday, July 15th.
0: TMC reports 2,541 new positive cases. So the last time we talked was six days ago. And I actually, I was going to look up now the COVID numbers for TMC for Texas Medical Center. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like over the last six days, it's basically been... Almost a steady increase with like really big jumps from day to day in COVID patients.
2: That's right. There's patients in the ER. There's patients waiting to come in. We've expanded to eight ICUs now. So the next two are going live by. We're planning within the next two weeks.
0: How are you feeling about that?
2: The thing I've noticed in the last six days, I guess, because I I've, I've done a lot more shifts. We're unable to oxygenate these patients in the ICU at least. I mean, no matter what we do. We're unable to give them oxygen. And I'm seeing, like, young obese people, for example, when they come in, we, I mean, mentally, it, it's horrible because I know where they're heading. This is what it's become. You just sit there and you wait for things to go wrong because they will. And then when they do, you do everything you can. You play with the machines a little bit, maybe some other medications you can think of to rescue them. And then you sit back down and then you wait. It's like a marathon. You just keep going circles around the unit. You just walk around, walk around, eyeball the rooms, eyeball the rooms, and you just see this constant turnover of more and more patients in the same predicament and same situations. One success story is great. Like, yay, they're doing better. Um, small victories. I think that's what's the most important thing to keep positive in the in that unit.
0: I mean, I'm going to be honest. You sound really tired.
2: Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a long week. I, I am tired, actually. <laughs>
0: What happens when somebody dies in the ICU? How does that process play out? And then what happens after?
2: If the patient codes and passes away, we do a complete neurological examination, bio sign check, and then we call time of death.
0: And what is that like?
2: It's, I mean, it's never good, right? That's where that guy's story just ended or that person's story just ended. That's where their loved ones, you know, and nowadays they can't even be in the damn room, which is even worse, right? That is, to me, is the most gut-wrenching thing mm-hmm they can't be there yeah and some of my other patients what i do i just you know block my caller id and just facetime the wife or facetime someone just give it to them
0: when you make like a facetime call like that to a loved one of someone who has died how do you even have that conversation
2: first you set up expectations find out what how much they know already and then you mentally prepare them uh for the news um And then you tell them the news. You just got to be objective, no like false hopes and stuff like that, just straight up. They're like, I'm sorry to tell you, and and I'm very, very sorry, but, you know, they passed. Usually it's very rare that it happens after they've passed. It's usually before. Hmm. And you let them know that they are not going to be able to make it through the night or the next hour or the next few minutes. This is what's happening. And, of course, you're going to get emotion on the other side, and you just got to be there with them through it. You just got to, you know, be there.
4: My name is Michelle Lord. Today is uh, July 15th, 2020. So I feel like I have to go through a process even to get myself to the hospital these days. Um, And so, you know, spending some extra time having coffee is part of it. But even getting out of my car sometimes at work is hard and it takes me a few minutes. And, you know, I used to listen to NPR on my way into work and I've had to sometimes limit that because it makes me emotional sometimes and it's hard to listen to. I do spend a few minutes in my car, I would say, at the beginning of work and at the end of the work um, just to get through and collect my thoughts and try to put on you know, the optimism and positive energy that I need to either get through the day or get through the evening with my family.
3: So it's Bradley Lemke, and it is July the 16th.
0: TMC reports 2,661 new positive cases. Doctors are still waiting to see whether the record spike after 4th of July will translate into even more hospitalizations throughout the rest of the month. Things could still get worse.
3: So the total number of cases continue to to grow in in the Harris County and surrounding areas the number of hospitalizations have flattened a little bit. I guess it was just a few days that we hit another record high number of new cases reported in Harris County and the timeline seems to coincide with July 4th. And when you have those new cases reported, then the concern is that they'll, you know, they're initially diagnosed and then within a week or two after that they'll become sick enough to be admitted to the hospital, at least a certain portion of them. So although we've we've had this slowing of admissions and the kind of flattening of our census has been, uh, again, a optimistic sign. We just worry about what July 4th is going to do, because, again, that will stress the system again if we have a significant number of new cases needing to be admitted to the hospital.
0: That same day we spoke to Dr. Lumkey, the state of Texas reported its highest single-day death count since the pandemic began.
2: Oh god, getting more acidotic. 7.3153. 160. You gotta pull his pH up, man.
0: The story was reported and produced by Ted Muldoon and myself, Martine Powers. If you live in Houston, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this story and how your life has changed in the past few weeks. Send us an email at postreportswashpost.com. At Our executive producer is Madalika Sika. Our senior producer is Maggie Penman. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rena Flores, Lena Mohammed, Jordan Marie Smith, Renny Svernovsky, and Ted Muldoon, who also composed our theme music. The post director of audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from the Washington Post. <laughs>